the exodus from Egypt. It is the absolute ultimate event in Judaism, um, soon to be the second most ultimate event. Or, or the, the word for that is the penultimate event. There's your SAT vocabulary word for the day. The penultimate event, because even the prophets say in Jeremiah, it says, no longer will you say, the Lord who has brought us out of Egypt. You will say, the Lord who has brought us back from all the nations that you have sent us. And we are living that today. The fulfillment of that is happening today. And the Lord is using even anti-Semitism to bring the Jewish people back to Israel. Because he'll use whatever he's got to use <laughs> to get his purposes done. Hallelujah. So it is an, an amazing Torah portion. It's one of the most important passages in the entire scripture. And it cannot be taken lightly, just like Val, when she felt led to do the communion, was like, this can't be taken lightly. This, this Torah portion and what we've read in this Torah portion is so pivotal and important for the entire Bible. Nothing foreshadows Yeshua as much as the Passover lamb that was slain whose blood, whose blood was put on the doorpost so we can be set free. In fact, I argue that you can't fully understand what it means that Yeshua is called the Lamb of God without really understanding what's happened in this Torah portion. Because you can't read a book just by reading the end passages. Yeah, you'll get an understanding of the ending but you won't get the full picture of the characters and exactly what is happening and why it is happening. So we're going to dig into it a little bit. I'll apologize in advance if I tip over some holy cows. I'll apologize in advance. I'll apologize in advance if there are some theologies that get a little bit challenged. I really don't mean to do that, but if it does come out, well, I apologize in advance. So there you have it. So now you can't be mad at me. I'm not saying I'm going to do that, but if it comes out. So before we get into that, there are certain things that are so foundational in this Torah portion, it's worth a recap. So... We, we go through the plagues last week with seven of the ten plagues. This week is the last three. Um, there was locust, darkness, and death of the firstborn. And after the plague of darkness, the Lord starts establishing some matters. And he starts to establish certain foundational things which are important to us. Even unto this day. Even things that have been forgotten in the church. He provides, after the, the ninth plague, he provides the first commandment given to the children of Israel as a congregation. 
Did you know that, the, 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 by the way, that the, the word church comes from the Greek word ecclesia, which comes from the Hebrew word kahila, which is the exact same word used to describe the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. This is why the Lord is not establishing some new thing. He's bringing the greatest revelation to what he already established. So the ninth plague happens. They're about to come out, and the Lord establishes some things. The first thing he says is that this month, will be the first of your months. That's the first time we hear this, that the month that the Passover happens is month one of the year. That is established in this Torah portion. And if you don't know that the monthly calendar, the calendar, the, 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 the turning of the months is according to the moon, the, in fact, the Hebrew word for month is chodesh. It's the same word as month. So a new month is a new moon. Do you know what a new moon is? It's when it's dark in the sky. So every time that it is dark in the sky and you see the, 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 the waxing and the waning of the moon, it comes to a little sliver and then it's dark and then it starts to bring light Again, that is the beginning of each month. He just went through the plague of darkness where he made a distinction. There was darkness in Egypt, light with the children of Israel in Goshen, and he establishes the beginning of months, saying when it is dark in the sky, light is about to come forth. This is when you say it is a new month. It is darkness turning to light, and it is a monthly reminder in the sky, and whatever time of the month it is, you can always go outside, if it's not cloudy, look at the moon and see what time of the month it is. It is a more accurate clock than Rolex, or Big Ben, or any of those uh, really cool clocks they have these days. It's been ticking since God established it, and is still ticking doing the same thing, telling us what time of the month it is. A quarter of a, of a moon is a week, and then you get the full moon, which is two weeks, and then the third week is the other quarter, and then a new moon again, and we celebrate. And he has us celebrating when the, when the light is the darkest, when the sky is the darkest. The pagans may celebrate when it's full moon, and I don't even mean to say it that way because the Jewish holidays, the biblical holidays happen very much on new moons because they're outdoors. You need some light. God is very wise, isn't he? But the turn of the new moon happens when it's darkest out because we look at the dark sky and, and the next day there's a little sliver and that is a reminder of God's promise. Every month that light comes from darkness, that light breaks forth from darkness. And he set that up in this Torah portion. He said it's the first of your months, month one of the year. And by the way, to make it a little more confusing, it's actually not confusing. It's Pope Gregory that made it all confusing with the Gregorian calendar. But even though month one is the month of Passover, that is not the turn of the year. The turn of the year happens in the seventh month. It says later in the Torah that the Feast of Ingathering, which is Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, happens at the turn of the year. So month one happens with Passover, and at month seven, the year ticks up. Okay? So that was established. The months, the beginning of months was established 
in this Torah portion. The children of Israel were told on the 10th day of this first month to bring a lamb into their household. On the 10th day of the first month. If you read in the book of John, in John 12, it says that five days before Passover is when Yeshua came into Jerusalem on his donkey, that Palm Sunday. Five days before Passover, the first day of Passover is the 15th. Five days before is what? The 10th. On the 10th of the month, your lamb comes into the house. That is the exact same day that Yeshua came into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry. So Palm Sunday isn't necessarily a Sunday. It's just five days before Passover on the 10th day of the first month. They keep it until the evening of the 14th before sunset. And the lamb is slain. It is at at that exact same time that Yeshua, the lamb of God, was on the cross. And they had to take him down before the sun went down. Passover happens, it says, at twilight, before the sun sets, this lamb has to be slain. It is the exact same time. And every year, the children of Israel had to do this, except they didn't bring it to the house, they brought it to the priest, but every year, lambs were slain, and it happened at the exact same time that the lamb of God was on the cross. It says in this Torah portion that after that event, you celebrate seven days of unleavened bread. Leaven represents sin. Seven represents perfection because all the cycles are in cycles of seven. It's a fullness number. So if you have seven days of unleavened bread, you have full sinlessness. That happens right after the Passover event. Because that's what Yeshua brings. Full sinlessness. And then they marched in liberty out of Egypt. And they were so despised at this point by the Egyptians. The Egyptians were like, just go, go, go. And take stuff with you. It's like if you had somebody living in your house that you couldn't stand. And you're like, it was like, you just go here. You can have my TV. Just get out of here. Just here, here's some food. Here's my, do whatever you got to do. Just leave. I don't want you here anymore. This, the, the, the Egyptians wanted them out so badly because they saw the favor that they had from God. And what happens when you go against God? They said, just go, go, go. Here, here's some jewelry. Here's some gold. Here's some silver. Here's some clothes. Here's some fabric. Just, just get out of here. And it says they went out in a mixed multitude. See, it's always been Jew and Gentile. Right from the beginning, they went out as a mixed multitude. And it's been that way all along. I am reminded that when the Spirit was poured out on the people at Pentecost many years later, it was a mixed multitude. It was a mixed multitude outpouring of the Spirit. It was a multilingual outpouring of the Spirit. So the mixed multitude comes out of Egypt. And this is the ultimate event in Jewish history, soon to be the penultimate 
event in Jewish history when Yeshua returns and gathers the exiles. And if his return doesn't include the gathering of the exiles, then there's something wrong with your end times theology. Because you can't just look at the book of Revelation for it. If it does not include his fulfillment of his promise to the Jewish people to bring them back, then you need to rethink your end times theology. Because it must include that. Because you don't have to look too far in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament, to find, I've brought you out, I've pushed you out because of your sins, but I am going to bring you back. It is all over the place. It's in Torah, it's in the prophets, it's in the Psalms, it's everywhere. So, we must understand the New Testament through the lens of the Old Testament if we're going to understand the New Testament in its fullness. And much can be misunderstood in the Old Testament when you don't look at it through your Jewish roots. Even simple things like what salvation is can be looked at nearsighted or short-sightedly when when you look at it just through the lens of the New Testament, you're missing a, a bigger picture of what it really means to be saved. Because the Passover lamb is the one that saves us. And you see in the New Testament, people asking about salvation. Yeshua said, it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And the children of Israel asked, well, who can be saved? Why are they asking about salvation? Who can be saved? Why are they, what do they mean? What do they mean? Why are they asking who can be saved? When the jail was open, when Paul and Silas were in jail, and, and, the, and, the, and they were praising, and the earthquake happened, and the jailer woke up, and their, 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 their bonds were broken and they were set free from the jail and then the doors of the jail were open and the jailer said, man, I'm just done. And he asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? What was he asking? Was he asking, what must I do to go to heaven when I die? Was Peter... When Yeshua said, it's easier for a rich man to enter. And Peter said, how can anybody be saved? Is he saying, how can anybody go to heaven when you die? But I'm here to tell you, and I hate to disrupt it, that there is so much focus on salvation being like your ticket to heaven, but you're missing something else. Because it's not just about where you go when you die. And I tell you right now, with surety, that when Peter said, what must we do to be saved, or how can anybody be saved, he was not asking, how do we go to heaven when we die? And the jailer wasn't asking, how do we go to heaven when we die? We have to look at this Torah portion, and we see God pouring out his judgment on the world. And the salvation is from that. And the people of Israel knew that judgment was coming to Israel. And they were asking, how do we be saved from this? 
But the answer then was the answer back then. It's about the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of the house. So when the destroyer comes, he will see the blood of the lamb and he will pass over the house. But we have to ask, what were the children of Israel saved from? And what were they saved to? Because this is relevant when it comes to our relationship with the Passover lamb, Yeshua, and what he's saving us into. And I tell you, if it's just about where you go when you die, you are missing it. Where were they saved from? We know they were saved from Egypt. What, was, what is Egypt? What does it represent? What is Egypt? It's the world. It's, the wor- it's America. It's Rome. It's Greece. It's Babylon. It's the world. It's a system of the world that oppresses us in slavery, sometimes physical, definitely spiritual. But he saves us from the world. He saves us from the system of the world that may bless us one day like the children of Israel were welcomed as honored guests into Egypt and turns on us and tries to kill us. We are saved from that system. In the Hebrew word for Egypt is Mitzrayim. The root of that is Matsar, which means constriction, which means oppression, which means distress, which means tightness. So they are saved from this oppression from the world. And we all kind of get that because we all had our personal Egypts that the Lord has saved us from. We get it. But I want you to hear this. What were they saved into? What were they saved into? Were they saved into heaven? Were they saved even into Israel? Were they saved into the kingdom? And I I submit that there is so much misunderstanding about what the kingdom is versus even what heaven is. There's a thousand-year kingdom that is coming. And then there's heaven. There's the afterlife forever and ever and ever. These are two separate things. And there's misunderstanding about that. But what were they saved into from Egypt? They went out of Egypt into the wilderness. And what is the wilderness? The wilderness is relationship with God and with each other. This is what they were saved into. In Egypt, there was a godless society. Actually, many gods, just not the God. They were saved out of that society and were brought into relationship with the Lord. In the wilderness, where they fail, where they succeed, where they mess up, where they ask for forgiveness, where they're blessed, where they have to seek God, where they find God, where they grow, where they lose the matzer, the constriction of Egypt, because the wilderness and the relationship with God is where we find our potential in him. And we enter into relationship which causes us to grow. 
he did not take them out of Egypt and into the kingdom. That came 40 years later where they entered into the kingdom. And by the way, that didn't happen through Moses. It happened through Joshua. Joshua has the same name as Yeshua. So they enter into relationship. And when we, when we just think about salvation as being where you go when you die, you're missing the reality that God has brought us out of the system of the world to know him and get to know him more and more and more and more and see him more and more and more and see him within us more and more and more and more and to grow and to, and to become in unity. That is what he saved us into. So when the focus is an end times thing, we miss the blessing of the kingdom that is at hand right now. Even Yeshua was asked by the Pharisees. The Pharisees said, what's going to be the sign? What's going to be the sign of your coming? And Yeshua said, it's not something you're going to see. It's not going to say, okay, there it is because I witnessed it. He said, the kingdom is what? He said, it is in your midst. He said, it is within you. This is what we were saved into. When the children of Israel left, it, the, the, the journey in the wilderness always has a starting point and an ending point. But the first journey, what was it? Where was it from and where was it to? Ramses. What's Ramses? That's Pharaoh. That's Egypt. To where? Sukkot. What is Sukkot? What is Sukkot? It's the Feast of Tabernacles. That's the last of the festivals. That's the one, the Feast of Engathering. That's the end. When he gathers us, when he tabernacles among us, the journey is from Ramses to Sukkot. That's our journey from Ramses to Sukkot, from the Passover lamb to him coming again. But when you have this and you just focus on the end, you miss the blessing of the journey. You miss the kingdom that is at hand today. Thank you, Adonai. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Adonai. Thank you, Adonai. Thank you, Adonai. Thank you, Adonai. This is why evangelism is so important. You know, as a Jew, and maybe, I don't know if it's because I'm Jewish or, be, or maybe it's just the way my stupid head works, but the, you better believe in Jesus if you don't want to go to hell, never quite worked for me. I'm sorry to tell you, I know it brought a lot of people into the kingdom. The Lord will use whatever he's got to do to bring us in. And if it's fear of, of eternity without God, then go for it. I'm just, I'm humbly submitting that that never worked for me. I didn't care. It just wasn't something that really, really, really affected me. But evangelism is so important. You know why? Because there's still Egypt and there's people in Egypt and there's the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of her houses and there's marching out of Egypt through the blood of the lamb into relationship 
with God. Learning about him. It was three months or so after the Exodus where they learned the Torah at Mount Sinai. It's a process. And evangelism is important because people are still in Egypt. They're still in Egypt. They're not saved yet by the blood of the Lamb. But it's just not on my heart to say you're going to hell. Egypt is hell. That's why it's called the Iron Furnace. Egypt is hell. And even when we go to Mark Klepacki's place, the uh, assisted living place, I know that there are many people there that are still in Egypt. And we should not be ashamed to speak about the Lamb of God to them while we're there and to say there's Egypt and there's the Lamb of God and there's our wilderness walk with him. And you got to have the Lamb's blood on your doorpost to march out of Egypt. So I just want to encourage you that you don't have to look for some future event. The kingdom is now. Live in it now. Rejoice in it now. Worship him now. Find him now. Find him in everyone. Again, the Holy Spirit was poured out on a mixed multitude. Find him in each other. Learn about him. Grow in him. This relationship is what we were saved into. Please stand so I could pray for you. And I want to encourage you with this as well as we close. The children of Israel came out of Egypt with articles from Egypt. What is this telling us? When Egypt gave them their gold, their silver, and things like that. When we come out of our Egypt experience, we, we want to leave it all behind, right? Like, that's, that's hell. Egypt is hell. And we're like, I'm coming into the kingdom. I'm coming into relationship with God. I'm going to leave all of that behind. But we see in this Torah portion that the people left Egypt with stuff given to them by the Egyptians. Do you know how that stuff was used in a few Torah portions from now? Those were the articles that were used to build the tabernacle, the Mishkan. You know what that is saying? That whatever you came out of Egypt with is God's building blocks for what he's doing in you. So do not complain. Like, oh, you know, yeah, it does. You know, you come out of Egypt. They come out of Egypt in a moment. It takes 40 years to get Egypt out of us. That's reality. But do not complain about what you come out with. Do not say that, oh my gosh, Adonai, this is so difficult. Are you kidding me? He uses these things as building blocks to build what he wants to build in you. Tabernacles, houses for God, which is what you are.
Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord.